Greg Jevonson, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine, and your host for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest on episode 48 is Dave Scott, who made a solo journey on the Trans-America Trail. This is part two of a three-part interview. We spoke to Scott on episode 46, where he told us about the challenges of just getting started on the Trans-America Trail. He dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic, difficulties shipping his KTM from Louisiana to North Carolina, and riding his luggage-laden bike through a hurricane and on wet, mud-slick trails. In episode 46, Scott had gotten as far as the Mississippi River. In this episode, we pick up where we left off, and Scott shares his adventures in the Ozarks, the Great Plains, and the Rocky Mountains, where he faced the biggest challenge of the trip. Try as I might to keep the conversation going, Scott is a force of nature, blowing through the interview like a Category 5 hurricane. He's like Doug the Dog in the animated Pixar movie, Up!, who mid-conversation will say squirrel and get sidetracked. This is another freewheeling, uncensored conversation full of humor, tangents, side stories, and insightful observations about what it's like to ride solo across America on a dirt bike. During our interview, Scott was on the deck of his house overlooking Lake Pontchartrain in Louisiana. The interview came to an abrupt end when the sun overheated his phone and it died. I probably wouldn't have been able to bring the conversation to a close otherwise. Stay tuned for part three, where I hope we'll get the end of Scott's epic tale of adventure. And look for Scott's story in the November 2022 issue of Rider. It's an adventure-themed issue with stories about the Trans-America Trail, the Trans-Canada Adventure Trail, the Trans-Europe Trail, the White Rim Trail, and much more. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, so I guess we... Hey, we're so we're live, dude. Well, we're, we're recording at least. <laughs> yeah, God. Okay, that's what that stream was. Yeah, so uh, I guess we kind of left off around the Mississippi or whatever, and I was heading on route to meet a buddy of mine, Rick Koch. Uh, to yeah. recall, I did this, started in Cape Hatteras, got chased by the storm, had a lot of water and a lot of trail damage because at that summer was two summers ago, there was five named storms hit Louisiana. And in fact, I think we ran out of names. And the last one that creamed me was a week after Halloween, which is even after, and it was Zeta. So that means they ran through all the names and then hit all the Greek names. And so a beta and a Zeta creamed us. But anyway, all that was happening in American Southeast part of the United States. And so there was a lot of water, a lot of water crossings. And finally, I, I got sandwiched in between two named hurricanes in Mississippi and just got caught in a bunch of sludge. So emerge out of that and then Weirdly, I guess I just front loaded all the weather because I had sunny weather for a month for the rest of my trip, basically, uh, although I'll talk a little bit later. But anyway, uh, so then the other thing was is most of the trip I'd done by myself. But um, I had a buddy of mine that lived outside of St. Lives outside of St. Louis that has another key. He actually has my old adventure, the one I was going to try to sell you. But uh, <laughs> he ended up with it. And uh, it's a 640. It's the original. It's an amazing bike. I. I rode that thing too up with uh, Suze from Colorado to uh, Nevada, all off road two up on that wow. thing. So, uh, and then rode all the way back through New Orleans and back to DC on that thing. So it's a good bike. It's a solid platform, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, so on the Arkansas part of the tat, and some guys only do Arkansas. And I actually, I met some guys coming on the trail or whatever, it was a little group of five guys that were just doing the Arkansas tat. And uh, it's interesting. It's its own thing. And, Again, you could run features on Arkansas. And it was also different for me was it was the first and only time that I had another guy to ride with. And maybe a little aside on that, and we'll go back to the main trail story or whatever. But it's interesting on philosophies. It's not like one of these, uh, you know, beau geste, uh, je regarde rien, je marche you know, I'm 
I'm just doing this by myself, you know, <laughs> screw the world. I hate people, you know, at all, you know, uh, I would kind of hope to have a bunch of people get it together back in the planning stages, but you know, life things and, and the COVID and that COVID went on for a whole nother year. And, and a lot of people can take a week off and maybe a weekend with, you know, et cetera. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it was like, I just want to do this. But then once I started to do it, there was a joy in making your own time, your time schedules, pushing it a little harder, skipping lunches, all of those kind of things that, that were, you know, you could only control your experience and then your sense of accomplishment. And then motorcycling in general is what I call that helmet time, you know, where it's introspective and there's a whole bunch of little problems, solutions, problem solutions that sounds exhausting to some people, but maybe like doing a crossword puzzle. It's like a challenge and a completion and, and all of those things. It's, it's nice by yourself. And indeed, as cool as Rick was and then fun having the shared experience. Oh, and I started, a, there was a factory flaw that I think they fixed, but that whole trip, I always had problem with my rear brake. And doesn't really matter all that much on a motorcycle. What, 80% of the stopping power, whatever is the front, and those dual disc brakes on that KTM are awesome. However, going on hills, especially downhills, fully loaded with my 200 and something pound carcass on top of it is kind of nice to have a back brake because even, you know, even in first gear, you know, the engine brake or such as that thing is, and do you need a $10,000 brake? You know, uh, no, uh, (laughs) called your engine, but you know, you're still going 20 miles an hour and on some of these, you know, sliding scree, you know, switchbacks, that's pretty fast. That's a lot faster than I want to be going. And, (laughs) and, and, and even thinking about your front brake, it means you're going to tuck the front end and face plant on a, you know, cactus. And then, uh, you know, so having a bad break is a useful activity. And then if you tighten it, I went from no break. And if you tighten it where you can feel the break, then blue smoke comes out of the back and it's white hot sizzle. And that happened two or three times on that damn Arkansas part of it. And, uh, and having another dude around for that was absolutely awesome. And thank you, God. And thank you, Jesus, for being my personal savior to bring Rick Coke out there to help me unfuck my brakes every time. I <laughs> and so, uh, so that was kind of, you know, there's the aspect of it that the photos show and the joy in the countryside, but in terms of just like technical trail, uh, the rest of Arkansas was pretty, it was fairly well marked. And, uh, the famous, there's one famous thing that's the tat killer for a lot of people. And, uh, and just now I was going to say it and I forgot it. It's a, it's a one little road. That's ah, a long story, but that, that one at the time, because of the flooding and rain, it was actually taped off. And so we did a little work around and we saw a bunch of elk and during the work around. So again, that's one of those where uh, I think it, the, God smiled uh, on that. And then the work around also included this killer pie place and you know biking and food kind of go together yeah <laughs> the orc store is another fun one. anyway when uh the one thing about having another partner too is as we had talked about in the other podcast is that my trip was a little bit kinetic insofar as mostly 80 percent of it i stuck with sam carrero's tat but there's this gps kevin's map and there's this backcountry discovery route and then in colorado and in a couple of other places, it was Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears did go through Arkansas. And uh, and so I try to follow some of that. It ended right there in Oklahoma. In fact, I took the Trail of Tears that actually paralleled or was contiguous with Sam's to get into Oklahoma. So so there was a lot of you know, best barbecue and all of these little separate routes. I was trying to, you know, Spock chest, multitask doing <laughs> this thing. And all of it was a compromise. 
Well, then you add Rick Coke where this was his backyard, mostly on a street bike. And so, and it was, you know, once a year thing that he goes down there. And so he wants to do the, uh, what does they call that? The pigtail. And the, they have all these sort of like tell the dragon little, sure. like, no, in fact, yeah. the state uh, commission comes out with a little map that has like six or seven bike routes on there. And one of them's an endure one. Also, because the water had been high because of all those storms, we took a day off and went kayaking, whitewater kayaking for a day. And I recommend everyone throughout the tat, two or three times minimum, if not like every other day, is you're going through some of the most amazing country on the planet. And you'd just be a jackass to just blast through there in the middle of the night, you know, like who does that? But apparently remember those kids in Tennessee do that where it's like a race for them and they're you know, hitting 70 miles an hour. And I guess that's your own trip. But uh, for me, uh, taking advantage of, some of the things Arkansas has to do. The other neat thing about Arkansas, a couple of neat things that's unique on the tat that made it, you know, top 10 or top five is um, there's a cool dude in the mountains in the central part of uh, Arkansas slash Ozarks that has a little trailer that has running water, hot water, a refrigerator, and it's open for free to anyone in the tat. And you just come in and if, when we had it all to ourselves and a, you know, it's pretty bare, you know, bunk bed kind of thing. And we put sleeping bags on the mattress and, you know, clean it all up. And so, uh, so the tat shack is a pretty groovy, cool thing. Nice. That's just, yeah, yeah, it's super, super neat. And, uh, and then there's another one in, in the beginning when I, before I drove up with Rick, where there's an old guy where the road, a lot of these roads actually go through farms and you're like, dang, I mean, there's a barn on one side and the guy's house on the other. And you're kind of going through his driveway. There's chickens and stuff. And, so again, you got to be respectful in all of this. And, and GPS Kevin's has too much of that. And sometimes he doesn't have the landowner's permission. So that's a major caveat. And I ran into that in Oklahoma and I felt really bad, but the people were real friendly. Actually, what the guy did was once he got wind after a couple of years of all these fucking dirt bikes going through his cornfield is he replowed it. So now you can tell is right when you get off the road on GPS is Kevin's. There's a huge cornfield. And unless you're going to go through the ruts of this guy's cornfield, it's <laughs> purposely planted diagonally across where the trail is <laughs> to make sure that like everyone got the hint. And I talked to his wife in the driveway when I turned around and said, Hey, I'm sorry. To, Cause she was watching me watering the lawn. And she said, Oh yeah, somebody did some motorcycle and you people come through here. And then from then on, that was the last I ever touched GPS as I felt pretty contrite, but I just took that one cause it goes through Kansas and I wanted to add another state. <laughs> anyway, so I guess we're in Oklahoma now. <laughs> this part of the story, and so. So I mean, so so basically, I mean, the our, I've only ridden on some of the roads, like you were talking about the pig trail and stuff. I've only done one pass through the Ozarks on a cross country trip. Fantastic street riding. I've always heard the dirt bike, you know, dual sporting is great there. So you're coming out of the mountains, and then once you leave the Ozarks and get out of Arkansas, then you're basically into the plains. And so it flattens out. Well, no, not really. Actually, there's a whole, again, who knew, you know, I'm a born and raised, you know, half a century plus living in the great United States, but uh, there's big corners of this country that you think you kind of know. And Eastern and Northeastern Oklahoma is rocky wooded. There's some river crossings. It's a little bit reminiscent of Tennessee, actually. Oh, wow. Cool. And uh, and then even where that crossing, where the Trail of Tears slash Sam's route, you don't know you're in, an, it's one of the few where I didn't get a, uh, like a welcome to, you know, some kind of a sign. It was, right. I, I just crossed onto this pavement and there was this little strip mall and then they had a, oh, and that's the other thing is that Oklahoma is a whole confederation of independent nations, of tribal nations. It's got some of the most indigenous people in the u.s and they have their own license plates and they hold their own flags 
and they have a large degree of self-autonomy, at least from an outsider. I don't know what it's like in real life if it's some Bantu stand or some, I don't know. I don't get political on it, but, and so there, and then the other stupid thing is, you know, yeah, I know all the flags of America kind of, sort of, you know, but could you tell the difference, you know, you as a Westerner slash New Orleanian, I know from is that, uh, you know, Iowa versus Michigan, you know, unless when you're <laughs> in the state, well, Iowa says Iowa on it. So you kind of give you a gift. Well, the Oklahoma one, I, I kind of, I guess, forgot what it was. And then it was traveled. So it wasn't until I was in some little strip mall and I saw this flag. And that's when I'm like, you know, Toto, you're not in Arkansas anymore. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but the one kind of back about finally thing about Arkansas is that, so my buddy, it became kind of a struggle of, and the way I looked at it was, this is my trip, man, and it's nice that you're sharing this with me, but I'm, I'm going all the way to Port Orford, Oregon, and, uh, and I got a lot of miles, so in terms of some radical shit, I got to be a little bit more conservative, but also, he had a buddy of his, and this, I reviewed a little bit, because uh, I can visualize these places, on, but the names escape me, but there's a kind of a neat little town that's right on the Missouri border, and he had a buddy of his that ran a motel and we could stay there for free. But and then he left there and then it was also closer to home for him to go home on that dirt bike. Whereas it took me, I figured it out, almost 200 miles out of my way to do sort of compromise what Rick wanted to do versus what I wanted to do. And at the end, it was kind of a wash where I was really excited about having another person with me when I was finally on my own hitting Oklahoma, doing my historical trail part two i was kind of happy that i was back on the road and back on track and back heading towards oregon and, and again a way different mindset than i started the whole trip with where i'm doing this i'm finishing it my bike oh and then also one good thing about rick taking me out of the way was i had to do a little bit of slab and and i went to this other kind of a regional ktm dealership and again i should have it to do a shout out to like really good people it's what's the town where the headquarters of walmart is bentonville What's that? Bentonville. Bentonville. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I think it's Bentonville KTM, or it's the only one in there. They actually have another product that they sell there too, I think, and, and uh, side-by-sides. But a uh, great dealership, really big. And um, and the other cool thing is this one mechanic, what uh, rare for these places, took me in the back, actually, with his tools and had me sit down and show me how to play with that brake. And really, and I'm mechanical neanderthal i suck at you know i'm banging the stick next to the obelisk and throwing the bone in the air is about you know <laughs> as good as i could do from you know so not only did they pretty much fix those birds and plus a lot of fear and just riding brakes all the time i didn't want to use the throttle i just wanted to i thought the brake could propel me forward or keep my <laughs> plunging down or whatever it was all brakes all the time and I, of course i cooked them but uh those ctm it was pretty sensitive for that kind of shit Anyway, Oklahoma. So Oklahoma was beautiful. It was very gradual, um, how it turned to plains and from farmland and then to the deep plains. And by the time you get to the panhandle, oh, and then I got a little bit of rain and that rivaled Mississippi. It's a different color. It's kind of a gray black mud. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Oklahoma, since it was actually laid out to be a state in the 20th century, is the entire state is grids. And there's like one fifth of those are paved. And so whether you want Sam's route or, or GPS Kevin's route or any other bloody freaking route is where it's raining, don't go to that grid square yeah. where it's not. And you can see it. That's an easy thing about central to western Oklahoma. You can see the weather a couple hours ahead of you. 
and yeah. figure it out, you know, and even if you're not from there, give it two days and you'll figure it out. And um, so what I did was just make my own tat completely on dirt roads. Again, the whole time I'm trying to, sh- these other little trails is the spirit of the tat. And that's what Rick and I bounced heads a little bit on was he was happy to do twisty pave roads because he has an enduro. But to me, right. it's like the point of the tat is driving across America on dirt roads. I mean, I can come back with my victory and have and, and will uh, uh, to do the other shit. Anyway, so, um, and so that was actually neat too. So I was a little bit further south than than what either of those trails that I would just recommend anyone else to take that route anyway, because there's the Cimarron River and that starts, and there's these sand dunes and there's this salt flat area that's next to Southern Louisiana um, and Florida is the largest avian flyover thing and so uh a lot of interesting things to see and then uh, again one of the top five coolest things that ever happened was i went to the sand dune thing and separate story uh with outside of motorcycling is um i got lost and oh the spanish who was it Devaca or somebody in 15 something insane sent his conquistadors wandering around Oklahoma. I mean, you know, they kind of never really came back and left a presence. But in his journal, he lost 15 men in the sand dune thing and that he they got lost. He sent another party and they got lost. And then he sent a third party, including his main lieutenant was that we need to get these guys back because one of them was like their chef. And I lost you, Dave. Hey, I'm back in the camera. And I, thought, I just read this historical article about all these people getting lost. And what do I do all by myself with no GPS and no flashlight, wandering around? So then when I got back into town, it turns out the next day in Beaver, Oklahoma, one of the coolest communities in all of the 50 states and, uh, and a half dozen territories and regions is that uh, uh, had their cow chip. The international cow chip throwing competition was in Beaver the weekend that I was there. How cool was that? And a uh, uh, really cool community. And then from there, there's an area of the United States called No Man's Land. That after um, when uh, Texas was a state and uh, some of these others, this was this area where that's why that weird panhandle was, where no state had any jurisdiction. And that lasted, again, almost to the 20th century and then that was where all of these butch cassidy and the sandance kid and all of these cowboy and so there's all these remote trails and so therefore too is who would have thought that the westernmost part of oklahoma and that panhandle is physically and historically one of the most interesting in fact i took another day and a half there and i, I stopped early at a at a little state uh the very last is black rock state park and um and i climbed Black Rock Mountain, which is the highest point in um, in Oklahoma. It's like 10,000 feet. It's a hell of a high. It took like all day. That's why I reserved a day. And from there, you can see all through the basin. And then uh, and then you're in Colorado and then the west. Like you're in the – so there's prairie, but then boom, when you're in Oklahoma looking into – you're now in the west and you can see those mountains. And it's that's when it got real. That's like, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, mentally like, oh, I'm halfway to Mississippi. Now nah, you're really like a third of the way. Yeah. But once you're in the West, you're like, I'm halfway. And then you think all those adventures behind you, it's going to be more coming up, you know, like heavier. Like this is real. All that messing around with breaks, all that learning how to cross rivers, all that crap is like training. Yeah. You know, and I guess some guys start there, but man, I, I kind of needed like I about had about a month in, you know, at that point, because I messed around on some of them days. And and uh, and then I had my uncle lives there in Raton. So I pulled off the tad a little bit and 
and visited. The cousin drove three hours to visit me. And that was like a great reunion, great reboost. And a lot of people get tires in Trinidad and at uh, Tupac, Tupac's uh, uh, place. And, uh, and Trinidad's a good place to stock up and re get your shit together if you're missing camping stuff and, and, uh, and do all those things. And, and then Colorado was Colorado. It was physically beautiful. The weather changed. Of course, I was higher altitude and poof, overnight the Aspens turned just, it was cool. One day they were green and it was the first night where there was frost on my tank. In fact, on the little plastic where the map thing goes, which had kind of turned yellow. So I barely used, I was using the Garmin most of the time, but I'd stuff maps in there that I could just look when I was straddling the bike at neutral trying to, you know, the one thing about the Garmin is it's pretty accurate, but it's accurate within 200 to 350 feet. Well, shit, you know, there could be three trails branching yeah. out in that little grid square and, the, and it doesn't show. And even if you're on the wrong one, it'll show you're on the right one until you get, you know, another 500 or, or half a click away. And, and so it's good to have a paper maps all the time. And also, too, is studying the routes. Once stuff closes, sure, you can go little, little, little on your garden with your face pressed up against it. But you need a bigger map to look at a proper workaround. Yeah. And a couple of times I did workarounds on workarounds and shit. If you're not marking a map at that point, dude, you're, you can get majorly lost. And anyway, so uh, Colorado came up and it was better and prettier. And, and then I crossed the divide and it turns out the divide is interesting, but they're pretty conservative, wide, big roads and everything. But it wasn't until I was almost out of Colorado and it was those, um, what do they call them? The, um, What's that group of mountains where Telluride and Ware and Lake uh, the San Juans? San Juans. Thank you. Santa yeah. Cristo is one you enter with, and then the yeah. Rockies, and then the San Juans. And yeah. all three are different, interesting. And those last ones, though, is that's where the cover shots are made. That's where everyone's, it's just, just that is a unique, amazing, and I can't stress this enough, extraordinarily challenging. I was way out of my element and then and similar i said in the mississippi you don't know you're out of your element until you're out of your element you know and um, <laughs> and the story in your magazine has more of the colorado part and so i won't give the details of those last couple of days but anyway uh coming over i did engineer pass and at the stop of engineer pass right when i went to you know straddling the bike to take a selfie i almost got blown over i mean it had been gale force winds that's what 90 mile an hour winds and it was just, and the rain was, it turned into sleet that turned into snow instantly. I mean, the time that it took me to come up to the top, the cloud went around the side of the thing. and went from sunny to like pea soup fog while I'm still taking my gloves and helmet to this rain wind crap to, um, to a complete whiteout. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, and the, and the snow was coming up. That was a weird thing. It wasn't going down or sideways. It's blowing straight up like the wind is coming to the canyon. And and that was a hell of a thing getting down this incredible. It looked like, uh, you know, years ago uh, doing things uh, during the uh, war in Afghanistan, uh, the, the mountains between Pakistan and, and uh, the Karakoram Mountains. And this area looked like that where it's denuded of any kind of foliage and it's just this rock and like glacier and complete whiteout and oh and since it was a popular weekend and tons of people with side by sides you know some of my best friends drive side by sides and, <laughs> you know and, uh, uh, however is tennessee arkansas and the ozarks 
And this lake uh, loop area is just, it's even some of the locals are talking about how they need to maybe do a quota is that there's a lot of those things. Not a lot of people. Now on the positive side, is it handicapped people and older people I saw up there could access the mountains. And I thought really neat. I ran into this old couple that were poking around this mine. And I thought she was kind of on a walker. And I thought, you know, here's a gal that would never get to experience this stuff. If, uh, if it weren't for the side by side. So I get that and ranchers and all of those, but, and I'm a Yahoo that's messing around. I'm a tourist too, you know, but um, water crossings got in Tennessee, these clubs would get there and just cross the same thing back and forth, back and forth playing in the yeah. mud. And that <laughs> turns into a trough. And in the Colorado one, there was a lot of people that were way above their skill level too, like skis. Like, you know, there's always that nine-year-old kid that like blasts into the top of you on a, mount when you're trying to ski and, and breaks your leg and you know and he's rubber and keeps going and there was a lot of close calls with these yeah but I mean, side you, can, side. you can rent side by sides but you don't really need to know what you're doing i mean if you figure if you can drive a car people drive side by sides and so you have people that don't have many skills don't have much understanding of trail etiquette and then you have some people that are just ripping on those things so yeah and they take up a lot of space on a trail so it creates challenges for motorcycles. I'm sure it even creates challenges for people in Jeeps and stuff because those guys, I've, I've seen them in Moab just ripping through trails and it's kind of a pain. So I, yeah. Yep. And a lot of drinking. I mean, not a lot of probably, you know, 5% or 1% of those two, but there's like people just doing stupid shit like that. Yes. And also too is, and this will feature later on in our little talk or whatever, is that it was dry. It has been dry. El Nino, global warming, global weirding, I don't know, whatever, all those things. Is that um, but it's super dry. And a lot of the locals were saying, oh man, um just heavy use Jeeps, motorcycles, and side-by-sides, but just seems like there's a lot more side-by-sides. But with the dryness, it's just ripping up the trail. A lot of especially people that don't know what they're doing, yeah. or there's one little mud and there's workaround, workaround. And so there was lots and lots of visible trail erosion. And I would opine that on some of these tats and uh, and backdoor a backcountry discovery route that's what I actually took leaving from um, Pagosa Springs um, I left kind of Sam's and took all the way into Utah the backdoor discovery route is the yeah. one that I took and then in the Lake District in that little town of Lake City that's called the most remote one of the most remote towns in the United States it's like two and a half they base it on how long it takes you to get somewhere but um and the sort of eastern central part of that of those mountains is this little town called Lake City. And they have a really neat museum in there because it's famous for this guy, Edward Packer, that, that was a cannibal that, <laughs> during the cowboy. And um, who's those guys, Trey and uh, whatever the guys that do? Um, South Park. Uh, Trey South Park. And Matt Parker, I think. Yeah. Yes. Their college project, and it's worth finding on the internet because you can find it, is um, there's this musical called cannibal <laughs> about this guy alfred packer anyway there's a museum about him and all these little towns and so i kind of followed the alfred packer route to the cannibal area is a little thing in there but but they so they have a map in there and then so i use that map to my extreme detriment because at least on the backcountry discovery and on 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 kevin's and stuff is they have like a green sort of like skiing there's like the black route the green yeah. route or whatever but the little lake map just has all these really cool trails and it's mostly like where they go and all this. So I'm like, oh yeah, I want to see the waterfall and then I want to see this mine and I'm going to follow this trail and it's more local. So it's just like one kind of big grid square and I would put that on my tank bag. And of course, Colorado people are really demure 
I mean, I guess when they live there, and unlike other, you know, of course, Texas is famous for its braggadocio and, and California is cool and New Yorkers are stereotyped about, you know, the browbeaten, mouthy New York minute or whatever. And I just found uh, Colorado ones, some of them were my cousins, uh, just like pretty accepting and just very like I said, hey, uh, you know, how hard is this road? And they kind of look, you know, you try to get intel on these things and they see your motorcycle and they just assume you're like them that ride to school every day <laughs> through glaciers and, you know, ravines and so on. And so I never told it, had anyone tell me, well, you better be careful. They're usually really encouraging and say, yeah, go for it, you know? And so with this local <laughs> map and, and uh, so, so it was awful, actually. I got myself into so it was just please god get me out of these things and you know and uh so i made it off of engineer pass after that blizzard and the backside of engineer because the way the map does is there's a loop and it goes back through and so most people rent these side by side start in lake city and then end in lake city or they can go there's like a couple of little hubs there's like a campground area but in my case i saw on this little map is oh and then i looked on the backcountry discovery route albeit it was a little red one but the red was only like two miles or something and i think wow even if it's like a cliff i could just slide for two miles and it's fine those are like <laughs> two miles of the most terrifying moments of my life you know and it took me like two hours to do those like two miles it was awful and horrible and i don't ever ever want to do it again and then um so i made it into Ware, and Ware has this really awesome hot springs like public pool i recommend put, go out of your way to go to this place on and street bike and if you're on a street bike is that million dollar mile that's actually where sam's it's pavement yeah. on that part but yeah, it's listed on the top road. 10 great roads of all time and yeah. all of these things and and it's challenging even the pavement and and hence why i thought oh i'm going back to every country discovery in this little local colorado enduro map you know and uh and so i, I that's why i didn't follow sam's because it went way around and i wanted to go through all these mining towns however so you're pretty sore so my point is another high point on the tat is just it's like five bucks it comes with a locker and a shower all things that i needed because i've been camping and uh and just soaked in this hot tub pool for as long as I needed. And there was a little sprinkling that night, which is kind of fun to be in a rain and hot springs. And the whole town uses that place because it's a little town actually. And so it was 90% locals. And then I really got to get some good intel on the road ahead because I just finished engineering pass and then I was going to go up Imogene Pass. And I wanted to go to Imogene Pass because it's the third highest navigable pass in the hemisphere. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. And it's like the second one in like Colorado and it's at 14,000 feet. And I must say I had a little bit of, you know, uh, machismo or something. And I said, oh, I'm doing that. That's going to be the tallest, the highest I'm doing this. And so, so I asked a lot of people and everyone's like, well, and they're the ones that were first put that seed in my head. were saying, well, it's been a drought. And in the old days, when I was a kid, I took my uncle's F-250 Ford pickup up there, you know, with the keg or whatever. But nowadays, you know, it's, there's been a lot, a lot of people using it and a lot of erosion and meow, meow, meow. And, and it's, but then the kind of consensus was, well, if you did engineer pass, well, uh, you're good to go. You know, cause everyone <laughs> was like, oh yeah, because everyone was just freaked out. They're like, oh yeah, they're talking about, you know, uh, Teller County or whatever that place is, uh, uh are talking about even closing that route. Just like there's another route that was on the back country discovery is like a black route and stuff is that. Um, they're only it's limited to people with permits that are these like four wheel drive companies, which I super recommend people take, actually, is that take your street bike and don't do what I did and punish your body and break your machine and hurt yourself is pay somebody. It's and it's nominal. It's like 75 bucks. 
for several hours and these guys skill set now and then you can just enjoy life and the scenery and have the adventure and climb glaciers and go straight up and straight down and not hurt yourself and uh, that's kids don't try this at home pay a professional and have them take you there and you'll enjoy it better and they even have commentary and shit but uh but nope uh so i just i forgot by the next morning that i barely made it over engineer pass and those last couple miles was a near-death experience and i just thought well if I can do engineering pass, I can do this. Not being honest with myself, is it? No, I barely made it over engineering <laughs> pass, you know. And it was just sheer luck that I didn't die. And uh, and now this is. And then once you get really committed, there's a, a tomboy road or something. But when you really get up into uh, Imogene, you. Oh, if it gets gnarly, I can always turn around and go back. No, you can't. You can't turn around on these things. You know, on a 40 degree scree slope on a single track shit. You, no, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing this afternoon. Yeah. You're, you know, and so as you kind of know or whatever, I guess it's in the story or whatever. But uh, so right at the top of I mean, I can see the saddle where Imogene passed and it was super clear. It was what when you're up in the screen way above the tree line. It was just this heavenly, amazing day. And I can see the trail before me. And I had about another mile and a half. And and I could see the sign and some people in side by sides taking pictures and all of that stuff. And uh and I was screaming and calling up this this to this day that it's like one of these hill climb things in Indiana or whatever that they do. <laughs> it, it truly was where I'm like lean forward with a chin bar my full face helmet practically touching the triple tree on my handlebars man my stomach is completely laid over the top of my tank bag and that bike is like vertical man and i have it like started in second gear and i was able to just punch it down to first with a clutch almost pulled in and the throttle almost fucking pegged man and it was going and it was digging so deep and i was sliding sideways and knocking pebbles everywhere and all of a sudden right at the moment where the final top of this thing goes flat and i have maybe a quarter mile left of the entire trail to the summit sign over there and it's a uh, uh and my front tire is on the flat and my back tire is skidding up to the top of the the final top of the hill all of a sudden the bike went boom <laughs> just like that like what the fuck <laughs> like the whole engine completely cut out like what? I did nothing. I didn't, didn't anything. And what I can figure later on was, is that the difference between that 640 and the, and the newer 500 uh, EXCF I, uh, proper enduro is uh, the newer version is, uh, is injection. Whereas the older one's a carburetor. And there's a lot to be said about sometimes carburetors. And what I'm thinking was, is uh, at this point, I must've been at about 14,000 feet, maybe 13,007 or something like that. Cause it's 14,200 and something at the top of that pass. So I'm well, I'm getting into a, the second atmosphere or whatever they do those. <laughs> and I got a feeling that this bike, the first time it's little mapping thing, cause it was a relatively new motorcycle. I bought it for the tad. It only had a couple hundred miles on it when I started the trip, just enough to break it in. Anyway, uh, I think it tried to remap itself and, uh, because I, I talked to other people, like, what could I have done different? Like, God, uh, you know, foreshadow what happened when I was laying in the hospital <laughs> with plenty of time to think about this. <laughs> Man, I, I, I've been in a couple wars and all of this stuff. And, you know, I don't have like bad dreams, but this was one that I must have dreamed that moment for 
for six months, you know? And in each time there's this problem set where like, I, I, it's kind of like those Roadrunner and, and Coyote or, or Bugs Bunny and uh, ones where they run and run and they run off the cliff. And then there's these little high notes, uh, xylophone, tink, 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 tink. And then they stop and then they look left and they look right. And then they look up and then they look down and then they see that and then they fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to me is I stopped in midair and for like one second or one hour, I was exactly stopped completely at a 45 degree angle and i started to slide backwards and there's nothing more horrifying than going upwards on your own momentum and even though all circuits are engaged to do that despite the fact that your engine is on you're going fucking backwards and there's nothing more horrific than that that feeling in your gut like this is not gonna end well this is horrible that almost like an elevator kind of a you know in your stomach you're like so yes so the bike stalls it takes me a second to just figure out why i'm not moving anymore and then that second makes me start to go backwards so i pull the clutch all the way in and with my thumb i'm trying to mash it but when you pull your clutch all the way in and the engine is off you go backwards fast <laughs> so i'm like fucking of course we already discussed the evil rear brake of the 2020 model efe cx blah thing and so my back brake was cooked i put it all the way down and nothing was biting and so i had to pull in the front brake as i'm going backwards i'm moving backwards and i pull in the front brake but now my back my front tire has left the level and now it's going down and so so my front tire locked up because e e even yeah. with all that, my all the weight weights in the back, yeah, and, and I'm going backwards, and so I'm trying with my neck to figure out how am I going backwards? Am I going backwards off a thirteen thousand foot fucking cliff that goes all the way down to a river below, or am I going backwards into the sort of the ridge that's sort of to my left? And with my full face helmet and my jacket on and my little water bottle-y thing, and I can't turn my head. Plus, I'm trying to get the bike started. There's a lot of multitasking happening right here. <laughs> and in my dream, it was always this, because then the bike started, thank God, the bike started first button push. It was like, boom. I mean, it was already primed. I was supposed to be going. The bike was like, yeah, why didn't you shut me off? Like, So I started, I'm trying to go, but now here's the one. I still dream about this. Do I let go the brake? which I wanted to do because my front tire was locked and I was losing control sideways. But to get power, I got to let go of the clutch. But I, you know, you let go of both at the same time. Oh, and I'm trying to feather my throttle with just the bottom part of the palm of my hand because my fingers are wrapped around the fucking, you know, uh, break. Yeah. Uh, so whatever that sequence was supposed to be, meanwhile, my body is twisted around because I'm looking over my shoulder to think, okay, if I'm just going straight back, that's fine. I can kind of, you know, let go of some of the motion and I have lots of, but if I'm right on the edge of the cliff, I'm going to have to take more drastic action. Although I don't know, it takes me longer to explain all this than it, how it all happened very, very quickly is that. So anyway, I think the act of me kind of twisting around to try to see where the hell I was going backwards. And I was going to sort of put my foot down because I started to go sideways because my front tire was locked up. And here's another one. I could have put my left foot down. I could have put my right foot down. And, you know, I, again, in my dream, I keep, I tried different ways, you know, like, and for whatever reason, I put my 
right foot down because it was already bent forward because I had my my uh, uh, brake all the way maxed down on there. And so I just kind of lifted off the brake and then tried to put it down. But I didn't look down because I'm looking sideways anyway. But it turns out I was actually going kind of diagonally down the mountain. And so if I would have put my left leg, I would have touched dirt like in six inches. But because it was on the steep side that put my leg down, my leg, instead of hitting the ground, kept going. So wow. I put my, so I basically pushed my bike sideways because I, you know, my foot kind of fell through the floorboards, as it were. And uh, right when I let go of all the shit to give it gas, and so I just slid sideways with a wheelie upside down, and uh, and I broke. I had a tabular fracture of my tib fib, and I had to be evacuated off the fucking mountain. And my bike sat up there for a couple of days. That's a whole other podcast, and we should have that one about. How to get a bike off the 13,000 foot mountain that you got to hike up. And uh, that was very interesting getting that the bike back. Well, with a broken leg. Uh, so, ba- so, so basically, so so basically at the top of Imogene Pass, you have fallen over and broken your leg. And now you've got to get basically rescued, taken down the mountain. Yeah. With my tail between my legs and a shock. Because, I mean, we began this whole thing about how, you know, I wasn't sure I could do it and this. But then I owned it. And I just did Engineer Pass. And in five seconds, I was going to do I'm a Gene Pass, which will be the top. Literally, from that mountain pass, it's all downhill all the way to Port Orford, Oregon. You know, (laughs) I will never go higher. I will never go harder. Every single thing after that will be better and easier and cooler. And uh, and that was it. And I was at that moment. I could taste victory. I could see the friggin' sign while I was laying there in the dirt. I could see the finish line, man. It was just like, oh god. And uh, uh yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a heartbreaker, man. I feel for oh. you because you had come a long ways. You had, you know, like I said, you had you had uh, done. You basically you're on the job training there <laughs> on the trail in the mud. So, all right, you've been on the tat. You break your leg. Let's sort of like, so you get down the mountain. What's what happens next? Let's, let's get us back to what. Yeah. What so back next. to the, so again, the whole medical, I'll, I'll write, maybe write an article or some, uh, we'll talk about some other, it's a good, interesting story about the whole, the whole medical thing and getting there. Montrose the hospital and blah, 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 blah. I was stuck there. I was displayed. My leg was like, show you the pictures. It was like that. So I got home, even get home because right after major surgery, you know, with blood clots and this and that plus, can you got to rent out like four uh, seats to lay, you know, because my leg was really messed. I messed that leg up bad. I It was a, oh, but pause. And the last thing about medical is if you have to have a major tabular fracture of your tib fib, get it done in Western Colorado. Yes, sir, Bob, is that I ended up in Colorado Springs at this amazing surgery. And it's one of these like, shit, I do 16 tib fibs before I have my first cup of coffee. It's <laughs> the mountain bike capital of the world. It services Aspen and Moab. And so these guys, instead of like, if you've ever been in a hospital with a motorcycle injury, and sadly I could tell a couple of stories in that regard, is there's always a moment in the hospital, whether it's an orderly or often it's the surgeon themselves that go out of the way to visit you in the hospital bed and shit all over you because of your personal choice of conveyance that you were on when you broke your shit. Yeah. And they lecture you about, oh, you know, I spent four hours putting you back together. Are you going to sit there and, you know, blah, blah. Are you going to ride again? And everyone just, it's just kind of awful. You got to defend yourself and you're like in the hospital. However, in the Colorado one was, 
oh, what happened to him? You know, as they're wheeling you in the gurney. And they're like, oh, he tried to take his KTM up over the top of Imogene Pass. And the other guy's, oh, badass, man. What, which, kind, which model, you know? And they're like, oh, dude. And everyone's talking about like gnarly bike stories and everyone, even all of the staff, the surgeons, every, because figure who, they're all young people out there. And who moves out there to work except people that are into outdoor activity? I mean, yeah. Western Colorado is full. Skiers and snowboarders and mountain bikers and motorcyclists and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, the whole town is full of the of the EMT guys, people on the trail, the entire chain of custody until I got plunked back down in New Orleans was full of all outdoorsy, supportive, awesome people that were, yeah. So kind of that part was like, if this crap, and then I reflected on it when I had to do all my follow-up with my local surgeons and, and skin grafty people and all those things is that um, good doctors, but I mean, they do one of those a year or something, yeah. you know, and these yeah. guys, that's all they do. So, so again, if you so have to get hurt. What time of year was your, did you basically have your crash on Imaging Pass? Was it oh, late it was, September? Uh, no, it was in in October. Oh, and that's exactly another right. one is that I was still non-weight bearing. I had to rent one of those craftmatical adjustable bed from one of these medical supply. And they put it, of course, I live in the Winchester mystery house. <laughs> I'm in Southern Louisiana, baby. My house is 16 foot up in the air on stilts. <laughs> My whole house is nothing but stilts and, and stairs and fireman's poles and shit, you know. And so I think, what the hell? So my friends had to carry my carcass and plop it on this rented bed. And for a month, I lived in my living room and I had to have people deliver me food because I couldn't physically get her. And that's when Hurricane Zeta hit. Oh, <laughs> so shit. I, I, it wasn't like I'm ballsy. I live, you know, it's like, what's that Clash song? London is drowning and I live by the river, man. It's like, it's a class two hurricane coming and I'm right on the water. <laughs> you know, surge, she predicted yeah. 10 to 12 feet. Be I'm like, well, I'm 16 foot up, you know? And yeah. so, and it, and I would have evacuated, but I wasn't going anywhere because I was in a fucking hospital bed in my living room. <laughs> it was awful, man. So, let's, so that was let's, that. Cat. So yeah. So let's fast forward. So so basically, the you, tat. Let's you go back to the in, tat. So how did you get back to the tat? And so at what time? How many months later did you get back? Well, I'm gonna finish the thing because the, the dreams that I kept having is sometimes I make it. I pop the clutch and there was the sign. And then the <laughs> other one too is that all the Huawei people in that pool were like, "Well, you did engineer," but they were saying, "Well, because Telluride is the more popular, famous, touristy place." And there's that's where the headquarters of all those like four wheel drive places are. And so they're like, oh, yeah, a friend of mine in like a Subaru Outback or something made it from the Telluride side. And it was the hard side is the Huawei side. It's like the whole way is like 30 something miles, let's say, and maybe 20 of them or more are from Huawei to the summit. So it's just a thing. So I just thought, well, fuck, I mean. I made it, you know, the hardest part ever. I did engineer pass. I did that. I crossed the uh, all them water obstacles and all of that crap. And yeah, Utah is going to be challenging. But man, I did all the high country and, and, and Utah just be more of the same, but less altitude, you know. So I thought. And at the time, I thought the last big challenge that I was really afraid of, because it was fundamentally different than the uh, uh, the water crossings and the rocky passes, was the Great Basin, you know. Most of Nevada, a half of Oregon, and a sizable chunk of Idaho and Utah is this sort of like an American Sahara Desert. Everybody thinks about the Southwest and those Mojave Desert or the Gila Desert and all this, but the Great Basin is something to be respected and feared. It's this 
one of the largest expanses of unpopulated parts of the lower 48. And, and it's a lot of sand and it's a lot of empty shit. I mean, there'll be some Native American in his mini truck looking for a sheep maybe once every 10 days on some of those roads. And, <laughs> and also, even on the Sam's, he, he has a mark on there. It's the largest that goes from Idaho through part of Oregon is the longest part of the tat without any fuel or possibilities of stops or paved roads or anything. It's like 200 and something miles. Wow. And so that's one where earlier people talk about bike and whole things are written about, you know, bike choices. And, you know, the, the rule of thumb is a bike that you can lift up unassisted on your own. That's yeah. my definition yeah. because you will definitely fall down. And I fell down a shitload of times uh, until I broke my leg. Uh, so, so where did um, you get back? Where did you get back on the tap? I mean, well, so that's you... what I'm going to. So, um, and so how I bet it is that, but the one thing about the great base, so that was the only, so while I'm in the hospital bed and then I'm riding out hurricanes in my living room and my rent a bed. And then I was on a walker until uh, almost Thanksgiving. And then I was on a cane through like January and my physical therapy, I had pretty good insurance or whatever. And, and um, they, that lasted and through like March and then it was French Quarter Fest and Jazz Fest. It was like standing around and walking around. It was kind of like made me more agile or whatever. That was my training, you know? And then um, meanwhile, I had to leave the motorcycle in friggin' um, in a gal I know who has a place in, um, in Colorado Springs. So that thing was cryogenically frozen and left in her garage. All my luggage, all my dirty fucking sleeping bag and all of that shit, uh, all my supply, everything was, was there. And so... But all I did was eat, breathe, and shit, and think about the tap. And I, I doubled down on the maps, and I, I watched a bunch, of, and I'm going to do this shit. And because I'm maybe a little bit OCD or HD, go whatever these ones are, is that uh, it's like, and I'm going to start at exactly where I left off. You know, <laughs> is that because already it was a big blow to like not do it in one. You know, lots and lots of guys, just like the Appalachian Trail is, you know, they, like I ran into that group that was just doing Arkansas. They were from Alabama or something. And that every year they just do one state or like if there's a little bunch of states, like one thing. And they're working their way and they finally, and so it's, taken yeah. them, it's been four years and now they were going to Arkansas. And that's neat. There's many, many ways people can run their tat, you know, and it's your own journey. But for me, a big, huge part of it was I wanted to be a through hiker. You know what I mean? That yeah. I wanted end to end. sit there in Port Orford and thank God these, you know, this bike and me have, and what I would, you know, that was a big, big, big part of it. So it was so shocking that minute seconds, you know, the clutch versus the brake, you know, and God dang, you know, and so I still had a lot of adrenaline. I, I'm a lot more lazy just as the one year later, but, uh, you know, and so I'm doing this, I'm doing it. And I'm going to start at exactly where I left off and I'm going to go to Port Orphan. And, um, but th to do the, the routing, because the problem is, is that KTM is an amazing machine, arguably or inarguably to me, I guess the Husqvarna, it's the same basic layout, but just some tweakier things. But, uh, it's, it's yeah, the finest off-road machine for a 200 something pound guy. It's just perfect. It's ups, power, but feels and weighs like a 250 because originally i was looking at 250 and thought well i'm a fat guy i need like 350 and then i went to the ktm place and the engine and the frames are the same from 250 all the way up to 500 yeah. so you're getting a 250 just with a bigger ass piston but it weighs it's like 30 pound difference so it's an awesome bike however 
is it uh, has a, a little dinky ass fucking race tank that's like, you know, 2.1 gallons or some shit. So online, I ordered the Acer Beast, like whatever. And but then again, with COVID and stuff. And so there was another company that made a bigger tank, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of route choice was I could not go. 200 because again when you look at mileage it's second gear with the clutch in halfway you know like yeah you don't get a lot of miles out of that shit yeah. you be half a tank and you're gone 15 miles you know what i mean because you're fucking going up and down and sideways and shit so uh oh and god forbid you make a mistake fuck one one five ten mile mistake uh and even the gps shows you're right and then all of a sudden you see this body of water and then you look down and then the gps then bow shapes to move over to your lost shit. So you're like, oh, fuck, thank you, satellite, you know? And so you're 10, 15 miles, that's, oh, that's 30 miles, my friend. And at 20 miles an hour now, oh, shit, you're only two-thirds of what you thought, and it's getting dark, and you're in the gnarly stuff. You know what I mean? So, uh, and I'm by myself. See, that's another one. Like, when Rick helped me with all those brake shit, so I was afraid of the Great Basin, even though there was more, you know, fisticuff face plant horrible <laughs> dismemberment shit that's worse and this is just sandy shit but also sand is hard and hard for me i found out that when i did that little beach jaunt in the very very beginning of the trip and that's another reason why i went down to those sand dunes in oklahoma is that i was kind of half practicing for the i wanted to see could i do the lawrence of arabia shit and it's a, a, a fundamentally different kind of riding sand is its own thing man brain on yeah. gas off or gas on brain off you know you just gotta you overthink it and you get yourself in trouble so yeah and the flip side of that too is that's fine and then an hour later suddenly there's some kind of arroyo or some old yeah you know cowboy era fence post shit yeah and i know lots of people have broken themselves on the tat during those things because for two hours you're in this wallow half pressure tire shit and then but all of a sudden there's this terrain feature that jumps at you you know and uh so the so suspense it, is killing me man so did you actually ride that yankee boy trail and over imaging pass again yes yes i did so, but this time, and now this is another kind of a whole little sub chapter. That's what the news story is going to be about is that, um, so we talked briefly philosophically about like riding with somebody else versus riding by yourself. Right. Well, I was trying to think of like a third way. And, and so I found a buddy of mine that I'd known from this long story, Burning Man thing from, you know, as a DC and he lives in Philly. And he just happened to be between job, right timing thing. And so I had my Jeep uh, Wrangler and uh, uh, my old TJ and, uh, and a little pop-up trailer. Yeah. And so, um, because that's the other one, is that I had to go to Colorado Springs to get my bike. I don't want to talk too much about logistics like I did last time. But uh, frankly, the tat is, you know, what's that Woody Allen said? 90% of success is showing up. Yeah. I would argue like military, like the long tail of it is planning for the tat getting the right shit, knowing how it works, having your vehicle that you know how to ride and all of that shit, and then getting it to the location and getting it out of the location is most of the tat. And then the rest of it is just this enjoyable fucking movie that you get to watch, you know? And so uh, even all the life and death shit, you know I mean? Just getting there and getting out of there. So that was a large thing. So I had to take my fucking Jeep and drive it from New Orleans to Colorado Springs. And I flew my buddy from Philly to Colorado Springs. And then we went over and we picked up the bike 
And then I went down to Montrose. Oh, because that's another one is that this area, like we talked about Moab, it's one of the few that you actually have to make reservations there and like keep Hatteras and stuff, no matter what time of year that you can't just, and they don't let you free camp out there. And it's, it's, that's really hard logistically as well. And that bike had been sitting there with the same tank of gas in it for a year. And, and so, uh, so I had to find a place that could basically rotor rooter it and set it up. But all of those places, plenty of off-road KTM places in Western Colorado, that's the bike of choice out there. But they were booked up. They're like, oh, dude, I'm not taking orders until Thanksgiving kind of shit. I mean, literally. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I did not anticipate that at all. So um, that was another fucking nail biter. But I found these really groovy people that deserve a way shout out down in Montrose, this little independent place right there, kind of by the freeway. Very cool. Young, young people that run it. And I told them what I was doing. Well, folks, sorry this episode came to such an abrupt end. During this interview, Dave was sitting on his outdoor patio in Slidell, Louisiana, with his phone on a table. The midday sun caused his phone to overheat and shut down, ending our call. We'll have a part three interview with Dave, and I hope we'll be able to get to the rest of his story. Thanks for your patience and for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.